right, everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm the romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're coming at you on uh, a different day for a very special reason. We have a very fun guest uh, today. So B. Koch is one of the owners of The Bodice, an independent bookstore dedicated to romance. In addition to being a groundbreaking bookseller, B. graduated from Yale with the distinction as the last Renaissance Studies major and received an MA in costume history from NYU Steinhardt. She's the author of the forthcoming Mad and Bad, Real Heroines of the Regency, which is available everywhere September 1st. Welcome, B. Hey, B. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. That bio makes me sound so much more formal and uh, much less of a mess than I am, as you both just got to see as we figured out tech stuff. Yeah. Listen, what would a podcast be during COVID if it wasn't 20 minutes of tech at the start? It wouldn't feel real. That's, I think, how I bonded with everyone I've been talking to recently. <laughs> Because everyone has tech issues. Um, yes. So thank you so much for having me and for putting up with me. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's our pleasure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the podcast. So Clayton is a romance novel virgin. He virgin no more, as we have to kind of say now, virgin to different things. Um, so we always like to ask sort of what was it about romance that had you started reading romance? Like, how did you come to it? What was it to you? Sure. Um, I've just always been a big history nerd. So that's really what drew me to romance. Um, I had been reading like historical fiction, a lot of historical fiction. And a lot of historical fiction does not end happily. And I kind of fell into romance, um, just like from a bookstore perspective, I was literally like browsing the shelves and historical romance in that bookstore just kind of flew into, uh, like just bled into romance. So I didn't really know I was reading it until I got to college. I took a class called Reading the Historical Romance Novel. And I was like, oh, this is a whole genre. This is, that has rules. And all these books I've been reading are actually like, there's a whole community around them. Uh, and then it just kind of continued from there. When I went to graduate school, I wrote about romance um, in this kind of different way. I, I was studying fashion history. And um, yeah, it's just always been the history that's drawn me in. I love reading about historical women who have uh, interior lives. I think in history books, the interiority and emotionality of people's lives often gets left out because it's not the most historically relevant thing and romance centers those moments um and i loved that so i just read every regency i could get my hands on um and then when we opened the bookstore i really learned that there was even so much more than regency all these other historical time periods people are starting to write in and have been writing in um yeah so breaches <laughs> that's that's what drew me to romance <laughs> bodices and breaches and i named my bookstore the rip bodice for a reason <laughs> I wish that would have been just your answer. <laughs> we were just like, oh, cool, great, yeah. <laughs> so just the clothes. It was the clothes. Yeah, just sums it up. I, well, I love fashion, like, in modern times, but I also love historical fashion. Um, and, you know, there's not many bodices that are actually ripped in historical romance novels. That's, like, kind of a trope that's been put on the genre that's not actually, like, a thing that happens that often. Um, and Tessa Dare in one of her new novels had like a joke bodice rip as kind of like a nod to the 
um, the name of of the genre. Which one was that? Oh, see, now I put you on the spot. This is the meanest thing you can do. No, no, that's, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I, I read a lot of romance novels. I think it was one of the governess ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the newer, maybe not the newest, but the second newest. The governess game? Yeah. Yeah, governess she, game, I think. She does a great job of doing those winks and stuff. And I think, like, that's why I love Tessa Dare, because I feel like she's the most, like, rom commiest of all of the historical romances and takes the most liberties, too. Yeah, I think she just has such a fun sense of um, the time period. Like, the way she views it is with such a, like, a wink and a nod. Um, I also just love her on a personal level because she was one of the very first authors who was, like, really, really supportive of us and did a lot behind the scenes to help us. And I just have a real soft spot for her. Yeah. So, so what romance was it? What, can you point to one book that hooked you in the sense where you were like, that I just love these. I have, uh, mine was Dreaming of You by Lisa Claypass because I'm a Craven King, a, a noted Craven King. And that, when I read that book, and thankfully it was early in our run, I, I got it. I thought, this is why people read these, and I'm going to be reading these for the rest of my life. What was your, did you have a novel that was like that? Well, number one, I love that you said Dreaming of You by Lisa Claiborne because I frequently give uh, people It Happened One Autumn by Lisa Claypass. Yes. The romance novel that for me did exactly what you said. It just, I, I felt like I saw myself in Lillian because I am also small and dark haired and difficult. And <laughs> I was like, oh, to me, even Lillian kind of reads coded as Jewish. Um, and I just, I, I've always associated with her. I know there are some problematic parts of that book where she kind of gets drunk and then they have sex. But I, I just, Lisa Claypas for me is like part of what Regency is all about. And, and also I think a really good example for why I wrote the book because Lisa is so often inspired by real women from the Regency and will include an author's note in the back of her book talking about who she's been inspired by. Um, and I think she just does a really beautiful job of finding these women who were so groundbreaking and inspiring and then bringing them into the romance world. Yeah, that's Lillian, our, our favorite of the four. Right of the, the, the of the wallflowers, Lillian. The I feel like stands head and shoulders over the rest. Yeah, Lillian is, and Marcus is my favorite hero too. I mean, that's my favorite of the wallflowers. Yeah, their partnership I think is like a really classic Regency, like both so strong-willed, and then they find their way to each other. I think it's such a beautiful love story. And Marcus is the one that keeps everybody together too. He's kind of the glue. And I'm a big Marcus fan as well. He, I warmed to him because he wasn't at first my favorite. But then in the successive books, it was like, oh, so he's just this like strong character. He's not necessarily the most handsome, but his presence is so powerful. And I think I respond. I'm an alpha. I respond to alphas, but not, <laughs> not alpha holes. No, I don't like an alpha hole either. I have a uh, shorter partner. And uh, Marcus is shorter. And like she talks about that like multiple times. And I yeah. just think that is, I've been treated terribly by all the men I've dated over six feet. And now I have this like amazing man who treats me, who is my tech support. And he's short. <laughs> and it's so funny to me that that's like a part of his 
thing. Like he, he's a little bit has a chip on his shoulder because he's short. <laughs> You're like, get over it, bro. You've got a lot of other things going for you. Yeah. Well, that's what I like about uh, It Happened One Autumn too. is I feel like, you know, reading these books with Clayton too, it's like you think more of like the male perspective and it's like that every man is impossibly tall and impossibly broad and all of these things where it's like not also every woman is attracted to the same kind of man. And it's like, yeah, I see like being really attracted to just like a short gruff guy who really like gets shit done. Like, yeah, I get it. And like take care of you and your family and like Mm -hmm. protect you. Oh, I love Marcus. I need to go happen when I like keep I'm starting a list. What am I gonna reread after this? Oh yeah. We haven't read again the magic yet for the podcast. We're like saving that break in case of emergency, but that's also where like I fell in love with Marcus and I was like, oh he could do no wrong ever. He's perfect. I love Lisa Clayposs's world. I literally always talk and people like always tease me. Lisa has this Russian series. Are you guys familiar? Is it a modern or is it a historical? Is it in Russian? How do I not know about this? Because um, apparently I learned after I opened the bookstore, someone told me that they like really didn't do well for her and almost ended her career. I don't know if I can say that, but they were like a moment where she really wanted to write something and they didn't do super well. They are time travel Russian historical romance novels. They're wild. Wow. The heroine in one is a vegetarian who loves animals and she hits her head and goes into a coma and goes back in time to like Imperial Russia where she meets her Russian current husband, but he's mean to her in the present because he loved her in the past and (laughs) I'm reading it. I'm in. Yeah, they're as crazy as I'm making them sound. Like I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I can't remember what they're called, but they're excellent and they're not they're partly set in Russia and partly set in England. They're available on Kindle and all that or like we can order them on Amazon, maybe. Or we could or we could purchase them from the Ripped Bodice, possibly. So I definitely had used copies and I've sold them all because I talk about them all the time. I bet you can find them on, on Amazon used. I do think they're out of print. I don't think Avon still prints. Wait, producer Patty is saying, it could it be Midnight Angel? Yeah. Sorry, I yelled. Yes, Midnight <laughs> Angel. Okay. I mean, is there a list we can get on that if you get another like used copy, like we would find out about it? I'll find it for you and, and send it to you. I bet Amazon has used, co- I, I find used stuff on Amazon all the time that I never think I'm going to find. I imprinted on these books very hard whenever I read them as a, as a youth. And so I continually bring them up and people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we should, we, we should do those. Cause I mean, I, we we always threaten to just make this podcast the Lisa Clay Pass podcast because the Clay Cast is what we would just start calling it. It's it's upsetting how much we would just go back to her if we could. Because Erin picks the books, and every month she she does a great job. She sends me all these options, and I'm always just kind of like, can we just read a Clay Pass? <laughs> just any Clay Pass, just because I know for sure that I'm going to just I might not love 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 it. But I know I'm going to really, really like it, and I'm just going to zip through it, and it's going to be – there's going to be so much to talk about. It's going to be so fulfilling. 
and that's why but i mean that's why there's there's so much in the romance uh genres to just find so it's that's why we do this podcast to like broaden all of our horizons so i have to not be pigeonholing myself but it's hard because we just love her so much also the amount of lisa claybaugh stands who come into the bookstore is like amazing you guys are not alone you haven't done the theater series then no which then when i was reading mad and bad you referenced it and i was like i gotta go back is really good. It's so good because she's so clearly inspired by a real woman who was an actress and then married um, very high up and and is t- I talk about in Mad and Bad and I just think like a lot of people say like oh historical romances are so unrealistic actresses marry dukes and Lisa Clayposs was like fuck you all I'm gonna do that and it's gonna be correct. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't ask if I can swear on this podcast. Oh, you absolutely can. Oh, the amount of like, yeah, graphic sex acts we have to talk about is so it's like. Why did you have to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. First, you probably have to talk. Yeah. Okay. One of the questions that we ask at the end of every episode is, would you fuck them for the, uh, for, you know, in the the heroine and the hero? So we we have potty mouths. I think that's a good question. I think we all should really look deep. And think, would you have sex with this person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. The answer is not always yes. Shocking. The answer is not, I would imagine, is not always yes. There's a lot of people I like to read about, but I would not personally have sex with them. Exactly. Yes. And it's not even some. Sometimes it's not even that we don't find them attractive. Sometimes we just don't want to ruin their relationship because we're like, oh, these two are like really so in love, and I don't know where we would slot into this. Especially if somebody is someone else's first time, you know, and they're ha- happily ever after. Where? What am I going to do? I'm just going to ruin it. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to jump in there. Really interesting because a lot of historical they are, at least for the heroine, it's the first time, mm-hmm. and that's like kind of like a sexy thing to the hero. And as a modern woman, I don't like that so much. Yeah. Uh, so I love. Uh, thrift bodice every time I come to LA I make a little pilgrimage um, and so I need to now that I realize that there are other clay pass stands around I'm going to start yelling clay pass and just see who comes towards me you could just stand by those shelves like slowly pulling the books out and wait for someone to walk by and say oh I love those too mm-hmm. well, Maybe like, Aaron, are we best friends Aaron I totally forgot you bought me the wallflowers the wallflower series at the rip bodice as a present and there's a photo of me that i use for my net galley i use for a lot of stuff but i use it for like my net galley profile pic and it's me holding up <laughs> two of those books and elated genuine elation i love when people buy very specific books from like it, that's like next level romance stand Mm-hmm. Like there was a specific title you had to buy at our bookstore. And that is so cool to me that we're a part of that. That's wild, actually. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that, too. What I remember, my big Rip Bodice memory, uh, memory is it is the first time I ever encountered the Ice Planet Barbarians. Oh, yeah. That's huge. Which was one of the first series that we, like, the sci- first sci-fi series we read. And it was an adventure. We are often shouting about Ice Planet Barbarians at any given time in the bookstore. That's mm-hmm. honestly like, wonder on any given day how often Ice Planet Barbarian, <laughs> Ice Planet Barbarians are mentioned. 
I'm interested to know, like, what is the novel or the few novels that you do find yourself, like, wrecking the most in the bookstore? Well, I will say I've been on sabbatical for a year mm -hmm. working on the book. So I have not been hand selling in the bookstore for a little while. Um, that hasn't been said. There are perennial bestsellers. And one of the historical series that we just always sell and cannot keep on our shelves is Sherry Thomas's um, Lady Sherlock series. That is so, so popular. That connection of uh, history, mystery, and romance is like the sweet spot for so many of our customers. Mm -hmm. So those are really popular. And so is like Deanna Rayborn's um, magical spy mystery series. Oh my God. Juliana Gray, I think they are. I don't know. She has so many different lady spies or lady detectives. Um, so those are both really popular. I always recommend... Um, Alyssa Cole to anyone who wants to read books um, in general, but especially for a historical that's like a lot of people ask for a more serious historical. So I, I recommend her for a more her serious historical. We recommend Beverly Jenkins all the time. Um, Jeannie Lynn is someone we recommend all the time, but actually can't sell in the bookstore that much because a lot of her books are out of print for us. And we can't order oh. them, which is really frustrating, <clears throat> but you can still buy them eBooks and they are amazing. Yeah. Those are some of our heavy, I mean, Lisa Clayposs, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, what, what made you, cause I, I have a dream of, of owning a, a bookstore sometime in the future. We've talked about it on the podcast. It's going to be called rarely open because uh, it's, it's only going to be open when I feel like it, and um, I might close halfway during the day if I get annoyed. So that'll be just like kind of the thing. Opening this bookstore out here in Joshua Tree, California, where all businesses are run like that. I and you just that. never know when something's going to be open. And and everyone just deals with it. So you'd be very popular out here. Wow. Oh, you know what? Listen, I might go, I might get out, I might get out there because I do feel like I would fit in very well. But what what made you want to to open a store and like what is some of the challenges of just being a independent bookstore in this climate well this climate is unlike anything we could have imag imagined excuse me we opened a physical bookstore because we wanted big crowds of people to fill that bookstore <laughs> that's a good business model packed together really tightly <laughs> yeah just sneezing on each other. Yeah, yeah, just getting all those germs up. So that sucks that we can't do that anymore. Um, and what we really wanted, like, I'm not, I mean, I'm joking, but I'm also not because what we really wanted was a place for romance fans to gather, um, like, regularly, not just at conventions or um, these, like, big things that happened, but, like, regular book events the way other authors get regular book events. And we can't really do that at the moment. So we're really working on virtual events and how to make those interesting and exciting, which is always a challenge. Um, and then stuff like what my sister's doing with the uh, care packages, just trying to make the shopping experience still an exciting one, even if it's virtual. So you can either pick 
you can ask us to pick your books. You can pick your books. We can put trinkets. Um, the care packages are really a way for us to still like interact with our customers. But it's tough times to be an independent bookstore. And it's really different than um, if you had asked me months ago what how I would have answered. But at the moment, it's really about responding quickly to the changes that are happening. And, and just, as my sister says, trying to stay nimble. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I mean, so anyone out there who hasn't experienced the Rip Bodice in person, it is, it's worth a pilgrimage, but also definitely, yeah, buy online as well and, and supporting independent bookstores, especially now is so important, so. Yeah, it just, it felt like at the beginning, there was so much, um, people were being so conscientious to shop from us and that meant so, so much. And there's still so many people doing that, but I know from, talking to other bookstore owners that we are seeing sales drop um, as this goes on longer and people have less disposable income, which is completely understandable. It's, it's going to be an interesting um, fall and holiday season, frankly, which is what we're really talking about right now. Well, Clayton, you'll be getting something from the rip on us. We just have to decide what, maybe it'll be the Russian novels. If it happens in time, it would be fantastic. Oh my <laughs> I'm so excited. So what was the impetus for this book? Obviously, it's because you wanted to shine some light on some true heroines from the past. But what did that look like? What, what, how did uh, you come about that idea? Yeah, I mean, it really came from the bookstore. Um, they, this is um, a fan's perspective on history and um, the romance genre and how the two intersect in this really interesting way. Um, I just had been hand selling historical romance novels to so many people who um, were really surprised to hear that they were inspired by real women. And I would recommend a book and I would say, oh, this, I'll go back to Tessa Darius. I would say, oh, this is A Week to be Wicked. It has a young woman who wants to be a paleontologist and she's trying to present at an academic conference. And people would think that was so anachronistic and historically inaccurate and they'd laugh and say like oh historical romance novels so fantastical it's like well yeah some parts but not that part that part <laughs> is real <laughs> it's a real thing yeah. um there there wasn't just one or two there's like a lot of women working in the 19th century in the small field of paleontology um so i kept having these experiences not just with that book but with other books and i knew that there was a market for someone to write about all these fascinating women. I just didn't think that I could really do it because yeah, I just didn't think that. And my sister was the one who was really like, you need to do this. You need to stop talking about all these women you need to stop kind of making Twitter threads and <laughs> like sit down and put it into something where you really have done your research and thought it through and told the stories you want to tell. So she basically made me take a leave of absence from the store. I mean, made me in a very kind way. Uh, <laughs> and I wrote the book in about a year. And now it's been another year of like getting it all edited and put together. And now it's coming out, which is so crazy. That's so exciting. What made you, you know, because you've spoken about how obviously there are historical romances that span a ton of time from, you know, the revolutionary war to you know 
the 20s or whatever. Um, so what do you think it is about the Regency specifically that looms so large in historical romance, especially considering it was only about 10 years? Like it, it wasn't a ton of time for all this to happen. Um, and then what made you decide to really focus on that period of time as well for your book, your first book? Um, I mean, I've always thought the Regency was so crazy that it like is so popular in pop culture, um, but it's just this 10 year, like tiny little blip. And I think romance novels are absolutely responsible for a big part of that. Um, and the way they kind of reference um, Jane Austen and the worlds that she built and the um, manners and social structures that she included in her books and the way contemporary romance novels novelists reference that and then subvert it um, I think is this like constant kind of loop. Um, I was introduced to the Regency through romance novels. So I, I think that that's the perspective I wanted to write the book from. Like it's for fans of romance who have read this history for so long and are familiar with maybe some of these women. But the book is really showing that that's just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so many other women and also the book is the tip of the iceberg that I could have written about literally hundreds of others, um, but I had to kind of narrow it down. I think we, especially as fans of romance, we have such like a romanticized version of what the history was and that's wonderful. And that has inspired so many of us to keep reading romance novels and engaging with this history. But even with that romanticized notion, it kind of, it, um, isn't very inclusive. It leaves people out. And this book is kind of trying to broaden our view of what who is allowed in the historical narrative um, of the Regency. I just know from a person who didn't know about romance before doing this show, there is a way that people invalidate romance because they do think it's a, a complete flight of fancy. And it's, it's, it's more tethered to history than a lot of things that people look at as, you know, classic literature and, and, and things. So yeah, it's, it's, a, I think it's a great book to give somebody who might be kind of on the fence about reading romance. It really might entice them. So it might do the opposite where somebody reads your book first and then gets into romance. Oh, nothing would mean more to me. And nothing would mean more to me than if a romance novelist was inspired by one of the women was like, Oh, I want to write a romance novel about her. Um, because that it's really like about this conversation that we're all having um, as like amateur fans of history. I actually I also happen to be a trained historian, but that's that's not how I like engaged with the Regency to begin with. And I really wanted to honor how so many of us encounter this history, which is through these wonderful fictionalized versions um, that do share so much history and also kind of meld together real events. Um, and it's always good to go back and check your sources and be like, oh, that's what was really going on. But I, I mean, I love fictionalized Regency world. I have lived there since I was a, a very young, young girl. And it definitely um, has affected me in so many ways. Um, and I've really been thinking about this book in some way for so long. It's kind of crazy to me that it's actually going to, people are reading it and it is wild because I, I really have had it up here. <laughs> Um, in some form or another for years. Have Do you have a physical copy of it? Did, did you get a physical copy of it yet? I, we got our, I got my author copies last week and it was like 
I, I, a really, um, it was different than getting the arcs, which I thought would be like, oh, this is the moment. I got the advanced reader copy. I'm holding it in my hands. But seeing the finished book was a really emotional moment. I, I really needed to take some time to like think, process everything I was feeling. Yeah, that's, that's got to be such a proud moment. Yeah, it, it's a little bittersweet for like a number of reasons, but it, it is, you're, I'm very proud. And I also just feel like I want to shout about all the other people who worked on the book. I think um, this is a really collaborative book and it has my name on the cover, but the, my editor, Maddie Caldwell, is like really responsible for the way it turned out. And then the cover designer at uh, Hachette, who did this incredible cover design that is beyond <clears throat> what I could have imagined. I, I just think each person like played all these, played a really important role. Um, and now I get to get, take credit for it, which I feel slightly uncomfortable with. <laughs> no, but I, I loved it so much. I, I specifically loved the women in STEM chapter. Uh, and it was so funny because I was just like, oh, this reminds me of Talk Sweetly and this and that. And then you reference the model. I was like, all right, cool. All right. No, she 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 has it. She got it. Uh, the romance novelists also clearly love like that they're that there should be a STEM chapter. Like, I love how many people have been inspired by the scientists of the 19th century. Yeah, and especially, you know, astronomy and paleontology, which I think were the two disciplines that were so available to women because it was literally like, if you could finagle yourself a telescope or if you could be in an area where there were fossils, you would be recognized in a way that I think, you know, a lot of the... Uh, other sci hard sciences might have been more difficult to, to access. Not that women didn't, obviously, they, they did. But um, I find it so interesting, too, because specifically in the Caroline Herschel and Mary Somerville chapters or sections, I guess. I mean, I, I really love this book a lot. And I think it's it would be something that I just thought if I was like 13 and someone handed me this book, like how that would have changed my world. Because I remember being that young and like being so hungry. And anytime like a woman showed up, I was like, oh, what? What? Who is she? What's she doing here? And just being obsessed. And I think if I had had something like this, it would have really opened me up even more. So I love that you say that because I do feel like in some ways I wrote this book for like the younger romance, re you know, like myself as a younger romance reader who mm -hmm. truly imprinted on this genre because it gave me exactly that. I wanted to see women centered in their, in history. I wanted to see what they were doing, what they were passionate about, how they navigated those passions along with falling in love and making friends and all, all the normal things um, that people do in a life that's just less left out of a history book and I see so many people say on Twitter things like oh I know this historical concept or this word or whatever it is because of a romance novel and I just love when people say that like that's where they learn something you can actually learn so much history from a romance novel and then I hope that this book says there's even more history to learn you can go out and keep keep researching it um, and keep discovering more incredible stories in the Regency and Georgian and Victorian time, like the 19th century in England is just ripe for stories of fabulous women. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I think also anywhere in history you look, there's there was probably a fabulous woman doing some pretty fabulous things. And that's what I find so interesting. And I don't know if there's necessarily a question here, but, you know, the idea that history moves in one direction and we didn't have rights and we weren't in the hard sciences before, but now we are, which is always a lie. And I do think like, you know, the patriarchy or society really tries to cover those stories up to sort of say like, nope, you women aren't supposed to learn. And so we're not going to learn about Mary Somerville or we're not going to learn about uh, Carrie and Herschel or these other people because we want to think that, you know, we're moving forward and not the sort of there was these advances and then they were taken away. And that seems to be more the way that the history is. Um, and I feel like on Twitter which is obviously a cesspool, but we're all there anyway. Um, It seems, yeah, it seems like every few months there is a new discussion about accuracy and historical romance. Um, And I would love to just hear your thoughts in general about that discussion and and how you feel about when that crops up inevitably every few months. Yeah, it really is on the dot every couple of months. Um, You know, it's a conversation that we, that, historical romance has been happening for a really long time in different ways. Um, It is almost always coming from a place of, I have one idea of history in my head and what you're saying doesn't fit into that idea and therefore it's historically inaccurate. We saw this just the other day with Adriana Herrera's announcement um, and someone saying that's not historically accurate to have Afro-Latinx heiresses traveling um, to Paris at the end of the 19th century because that person said she was not aware of travel from Latin America to to Paris in the 19th century. (laughs) Which is really interesting that you revealed um, that because that is a very easy thing to Google and you could go do some research and learn some great stories. Um, But instead, that person decided to attack an author of color um, and say, you're not historically accurate. And then a bunch of white people come in and say, oh, well, it's so historically accurate to have dukes with six packs. And um, it's like, that's not the point. That's a different thing. Yeah. (laughs) That is historically inaccurate. The thing we were talking about was not historically inaccurate. There were people of color in the 19th century traveling and in Latin America and in Europe. So it it derails the conversation to have this question of historical accuracy constantly wielded as a cudgel, especially against authors of, a, of color and it wastes their time and it's really frustrating. I wish we could move past this conversation as a community um, and accept that, as you said, like history is actually not like a linear thing like oh we got rights and then we lost rights and like it it, that's just not it's so much more that's just not how history works um we have accepted a narrative for for the regency for a really long time and that narrative is now changing um as new sources are being added to the historical narrative and that's just the simple fact it's like it's not political it's political in the way everything is political right and that history has been told a certain way because of political choices and now we're, ch- we're changing that because we know it was made, those choices were made. Um, yeah, I, I'm always surprised, I would say, by um, the way it, it happens again and again, because each time I feel like, wow, we had this conversation 
people came with sources, maybe we can move on. Um, and I think my surprise is like absolutely my own white privilege speaking. Like, it's just how can you continue to be surprised by this? People have been dealing with it for a really long time. Um, and the fact that we're all more aware of it now is a good thing. It's just, I don't know where we go from here as a community if there are some people who refuse to accept that there were people of color in the 19th century in England and other where other places. Right. What do we what do we say to that? Right. It's the thing where it's just such a ridiculous concept that when it's brought up, you're sort of like, I don't know how to respond to that without just saying you're an idiot. You know what I mean? And it's like, how can I say this nicely that like, uh, you know, Latinx people didn't sprout out of nowhere in the 60s. Like they have existed for time in memoriam. And so, you know, or I mean, as long as Latin America's existed. And so this idea that like, they wouldn't have existed anywhere in the world or, you know, that people didn't travel. It's, yeah, it's, it's very odd. And I think people have pointed out that honestly, romance has a part to play in this like romanticization of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Romance is absolutely a part of that. Like there are tons of romances that have no more romances, historical romance novels have no people of color than have people of color. Um, And that's absolutely changing and we're seeing a shift and that's amazing. And it's a really exciting time, I think, to be a historical romance reader because there's just so many exciting, I feel like every day I see a new announcement, I'm like, what? I can't wait to read that. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be, and I've seen people say like, it's the last, last gasp of the old guard. And um, we've just changed, romance has changed so much from, the 1970s to the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s like every every decade brings new new things um so i hope what this decade brings is a lot more diversity everywhere including in like people who are working for publishers would be great and just every part of the industry and i i think you see that with when culture does change that the old guard doesn't go away without a fight and you see it in everything it's like you know hair metal bands were still putting out albums after grunge came out right so it's <laughs> like warrant had an album probably in 2000 but that doesn't mean that warrant should be still writing the history books of rock so i mean that's a very inelegant way <laughs> of saying that but that's the kind of thing you need to move forward in culture and there is going to be people that are going to continuously come out and, and try and move things back to where they're comfortable and you just have to be and it's not an age thing it's like you have to be malleable you have to move it's not an age thing because there are plenty of older white women in romance who know what's going on and are working very hard to encourage diversity um in any number of places but you're absolutely right there is this portion of the community that sees it as like taking something away from them to, to make more space for black authors and authors of color is somehow they're losing something, which is just, I, I think a really wrong way to look at it. And it's really harmful um, for so many reasons. The industry, it's like, oh, this is the way it's been done forever. I hear that a, a lot about a lot of different things, like stuff that has nothing to do with just, oh, that's just the way it's been done. It's like, uh-huh. 
and you don't want to rethink that at all? It's 2020. <laughs> okay, I don't care if that's the way it's been done. Um, which, you know, it, some people are maybe annoyed by our constant um, push for reevaluation of, of where we are. But I think we just can't um, stop. We, we can't be like, oh, well, we started, the, you know, we didn't even start the conversation. We've been having this conversation forever and now people are bored of it. Like, so we're just going to stop. Mm-hmm. That's not going to get us anywhere. It's it's not boring. It's not boring for the people struggling to make a name and, and be able to do what they want to do in an environment that's not allowing them to do it. I don't think they're bored. So we have no right to be bored. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'm glad you've had this conversation a couple times this month. Like, what about the people who've been left out of the conversation? You literally wouldn't even let them in the room. Um, And that's the case in history, too, uh, like in so many different ways. There have been so many people who've been left out of the narrative. And now that we bring them back in, it's like, why do you always keep talking about her? It's like, what? You wouldn't let me talk about her a couple years ago. You were like, she does. she's not a part of this conversation. So... I'm I'm really glad that this book is coming out right now. It feels like um, with the Bridgertons coming and um, new exciting things coming that I can't quite talk about, uh, we're oh. going to have chances to re-engage with the question of what is historically accurate. Some things I can't talk about. We've optioned, I, I, this is public knowledge, that we optioned Beverly Jenkins' um, Forbidden series for Sony. Um, so that's very exciting. That is yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that, but I wasn't sure if it was just not something you can't talk about. We can also cut it because we love this kind of stuff. We're both like screenwriters. Yeah, we're both like aspiring screenwriters and TV writers. So like we keep our fingers very tightly on the pulse of what's getting optioned and what's happening. So yeah, if you need us to cut it, it's fine. But I would love to have this conversation. I think that's such an important part of the conversation because like, What's being optioned, as as you both know, that is what Hollywood is looking at. That's what people are saying, like, oh, this has potential outside the community. This is like money making potential. Like, it's it's very crass, honestly, to talk about it like that. But that's that's just the way they talk about it. And since we have this first look deal, we've gotten this real inside look into why people are so leery of romance and what um, people are responding to people in Hollywood are responding to. And and the truth is just that so many executives are men. Mm. We have no idea what romance is. And, and we've been in so many rooms where we just have to go through 101 um, and break down like the numbers of the genre. And the great thing about Sony is that they have Outlander. So they're like, we know what we know the potential here and they back us so hard in so many different things. And we're so lucky to have them, but um, we bring them tons of stuff and we think, Oh, it's going to be a home run. And they're like, no, not for this reason, not for that reason. Then it's never the reason you think it's going to be, but we have had some success. And I think the Beverly Jenkins, um, like that is just the pinnacle for us of like, what we wanted to do with this deal. And we feel so lucky that we even get the chance to like talk about making it into a TV show. Um, Cause she's just an icon. That's the thing It's like who she is and how large she looms within romance. And it feels like 
it couldn't be happening to a better person and like a better property as far as getting this level of recognition. It's so exciting. Yeah, I was thrilled when you guys when I read that you guys had optioned it. It seems also like a Western um, and also talk about a genre that likes to ignore uh, people of color or has a difficult relationship with people of color. Uh, and then when you actually look at the statistics that like one in four person people in the old West was African-American black. So it's uh, yeah. So I think that that's why this as a property that you guys are developing is just so interesting and so fantastic. And I am so thrilled and excited. Yeah. I, I mean, I've read, I think I've read Beverly Jenkins as long as I've read romance, like, and I also, I love Westerns. My dad, like a big fan of western movies and so I grew up watching them and being like I love this but I also hate it I I, I'm responding to parts of it and like loving parts of it and then other parts I I truly want to just turn the movie off and it's it's just this love hate thing and then when I read Beverly Jenkins I was like this is all the parts I love and none of the parts I hate this is the best um so I'm I'm pretty freaking psyched about that. Um, you know, in the way of Hollywood, there's a lot of talking and a lot of waiting, but hopefully we'll have good news about it soon. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be keeping an eye out for sure. Uh, fingers and toes crossed and also pandemic go away. <laughs> absolutely. For if all for no reasons, other, yeah. but specifically for this reason. Yes. For content reasons, we should really wrap this up. My dad called me the other day and said, well, you know, when Corona is done. And I just started laughing and then hung up on him. (laughs) (laughs) Threw the phone across the room. I don't want to hear what comes after. Like, what are you talking about that comes after this? Because I don't want to talk about it right now. It's not over yet. No, no. I feel like that's the only way I can exist is just reminding myself there will be an after. So I'm like, when there's an after, I am definitely going to live for a uh, month in Europe or something. You know what I mean? Like, I have to keep telling myself these fantasies because otherwise I'll be like, so I'm really never leaving my apartment, am I? Or... Like, I'm never going to get to, like, hug my friend's children. It's stressful, you know? It's horrible, but there's one or the other, right? You either are willing to think about the future or, no, 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 we're just living in the present. And I am so living in the present. My boyfriend the other day said that I'm, like, a senior spring breaker. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, it's wild to live with you right now. (laughs) We can't have jello shots every night. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. <laughs> I came home from the grocery store the other day and he was like, unpacking. I, I should have unpacked the groceries. It's my bad. He's like, oh, you got one thing of sprinkles. Oh, you got two things. How many sprinkles did you, who are all these sprinkles for? And I was just trying to, because like, I've been baking just an unhealthy amount and I only want to bake got things it. with sprinkles. Got and it. they had a lot of different colors and I needed every single, it, you know, it just spiraled so quickly. Yeah. If nothing else, this is the summer of just buy every color of sprinkles. Just do it. If it if it brings you moments of joy, then go for it. And I'm sure those sprinkles were like three dollars each. So come on, they were cheap. Then, unfortunately, I went on Etsy and I discovered the world of organic dyed sprinkles. Mm, that's an investment. That was the next level of sprinkle buying. I no one's judging. 
Thank you. It's really <laughs> emblematic of like where I am in my pandemic life. My friend texted me the other day and said, what do we call, what pa- stage of pandemic is when I've just bought $98 worth of beads and I've never beaded <laughs> before in my life? <laughs> I think there's, God. here's a book idea. And I think this will be great is when everything's over. And of course this is like maybe five to 10 years from now, but things purchased during COVID and it's just people who are like, this is the dumbest thing I bought during COVID. Like a humans of New York style. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to see a picture of the thing as it was when you bought it. And then I want to see it five years later. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I want to know how often you use that thing. And price. We got to know price. We got to know how much you spent on it. I think that's a good idea. I love reading about people shopping. Like the strategist is my favorite website. Oh. I, I can read about people buying things forever. I can also read about what people ate. I love um, Grub Street Diet. Just my of people's lives. I'm a very nosy person I'm discovering. I always said if I won the lottery, I would just go up to strangers and say like for $200, can I just go through your purse? For not, just to see what's happening in there. <laughs> For, it, it is when I go to friends' houses too. I have to tell myself like you can't just start going through their things. It's rude, but I it's the thing I want to do most. They walk in on you. They're like, "What are you doing?" But I, I don't even want to find anything scandalous. But I'm just curious. I'm like, "Well, how do you organize your life? What do you have in this drawer?" No, I'm so nosy. I loved in Us Weekly when they would do what's in my bag, and I just wish like everyone would do that every day. I'm so curious. What's in your bag? and also what's on your bedside table? Mm-hmm. Yes, that says volumes. I think that comes from from you. Um, both of, of you are storytellers and writers, and those little details of life are important. What is in someone's bag? What's in somebody's drawer? What do they put on the counter that they might show somebody they're intimate with, but they wouldn't want anybody else to see that? That, that tells a story. So I, I think that's what it is. Um, you're also probably uh, just like Nebby creeps, but that's uh, that's another element. But yeah, yeah, I also yeah. love eavesdropping in restaurants, and that's one of the things I miss most about not going. Oh to yes, it, I yeah. love going to dinner with someone, completely ignoring them to listen to whatever is unfolding next to me. And in LA, that can just really be anything. And then I moved to the desert, and it opened up a whole new world. People are having the wildest conversations out here, and now I don't get to hear them. Oh, man. Uh, The other great place for that is the beach, because if you just have, like, a towel on your face and you're laying there, people... I once listened to a woman who seemed, these two women look like sorority sisters. Like, they seemed very normal. They sat behind me. I was, like, prime eavesdropping. They talked about how one of them thought the other one was, one's boyfriend was legitimately possessed by a demon, and was just talking about it like, listen, he's possessed by a demon. Like, they were also very casual about it. <laughs> and I was just laying there like, my friend, whoever I was with, was not with me. And I was like, how do I get her back here? Because this is just gold. I'm just listening to gold. And it was, I was just like, this is my greatest, my greatest eavesdrop of all time. Uh, yeah, obsessed. The beach is, the, I hear you. This is the true, again, the true tragedy of COVID is the lack of eavesdropping. We're really hitting the big moments. Yeah, <laughs> these are the things that matter too. I'm just a nosy bitch. <laughs> yeah. We need to get back to that place where you guys can just do that. Yeah. It's uh, unfair. 
I hate when people are too close to me and now it's all that I crave. It's really interesting. Like I don't like crowds or when you're waiting in line and someone gets up too close to you. But now that they're so far behind me, I'm like, what are you doing back there? <laughs> Come here. Look closer. Don't be shy. I'm not going to bite. <laughs> Come here. Little. It's like so creepy. <laughs> Like leave them alone. <laughs> oh. oh man! Well, we don't want to keep you too long. We we do have a Aaron. Is there anything else you want to ask? Because we do have like a, a little game that we wanted to play with you. Let's do the game. Yeah, I mean, listen, I could talk about women. I could go into every one of these bios and ask you about minutia about them, why you chose, like why you chose them, other facts, all those things, like just. Just believe that all those questions exist, but then we would be here all night. And we're all sitting in rooms with no ventilation or air conditioning for optimal recording. So, you know, we want to survive this. But I think let's do the game then. So this is a game that we like to play sometimes. It's called Romance or Nomance. And the way this works is that I'm going to read four book titles and descriptions. And three of them are real. And one of them is fake. And you need to try to sniff out which one is fake. And since you are a bookseller and you have read <laughs> a ton of romance, we, we kind of want to test you and see if, if you're able to sniff out the phony. Okay. I love this so much. This is also a, we play a version of this game at the comedy show we have at our bookstore. Um, but they make them all up and then yes. they have to, the audience has to vote on which one should become a real romance novel and then they the comedians have to like immediately act it out a little bit oh that's awesome really really fun and funny but i will tell you i'm not very good at it like they all kind of sound real so i'm i'm really <laughs> sure how i do it i'm kind of like oh you might stump me all right so we only did one round because we didn't want to keep you too long. If you like it, we'll we'll have you back and we can do a whole 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 thing of it, which I think would be a lot of fun. I mean, I do not to put you on the spot, but I do think you should probably come back to discuss a clay pass. Oh, I would <laughs> love to. I I mean, I think I should come back to discuss the Russian one. Oh yeah, that's that. I think that if we can 100%. get our paws on it, it's gonna happen. I'll send them to you just so I can be. <laughs> yeah, we love thrilled. that. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of that. <laughs> I'll love it. Listen, I'm, I know it. It's going to be wild and I'll love it. So these are all sh Wolf Shifter books. Oh, I don't even read much PNR. Okay. So the first one is Werewolf MD, the Werewolf MD book number one by Taylor Hayden. This aloof doctor's methods are less than conventional. What better way to save a patient than by biting them? Fresh out of nursing school, Isabella struggles to save her dying patients while vying for the attention of a doctor who is too hot to handle. Will Il Isabella fail? Oh, I'm sorry. Will Isabella fall for the charm of this hard body physician with a kind smile and the miracle doctor reputation? So that's the first one, Werewolf MD. The next one is Wolf's Fake Bride Shifter Marriage Service Number One by Sky Winters. Dale King Wilson is VP of the Hell's Fang Motorcycle Club. He's a wolf shifter who doesn't want love or family. He just wants power. In order to be president of the MC, he needs a wife. 
Jocelyn is on the run from an abusive ex-husband who tormented her because she did not bear his child. Desperate and penniless, she finds an advertisement for a job to be a fake bride. Dale's only terms? Complete discretion and no children under any circumstances. So that is Wolf's Fake Bride. Third one is Wolf It Down, Werewolf Restaurateur Number 1 by April Bronze. Brett Forsyth is a cocky three Michelin star chef and a wolf shifter. His southern charm hides a dark side that only comes out at night. Sarah Chambers is Atlanta's top food critic, sent to review Brett's latest restaurant. She may appear cold, but nothing melts her heart like spicy food or a spicy man. If that isn't real, I want, if that is real, I want to read it. <laughs> when the grand opening of Brett's restaurant coincides with the night of a full moon, can Brett control his animal nature and his lust? So that is Wolf It Down. Last one, number four. Dad's Irish Wolf Shifter Friend. Irish Wolf Shifters, number one, by Flora Ferrari. Did you say dad's? Yes, dad's Irish Wolf Shifter Friend. So try and do the mental gymnastics with that. <laughs> Irish Wolf Shifters, number one. Keely Malone is a mob princess who is none too pleased about being sent to Ireland to stay with her dad's best friend until she sees him. She has always loved fairy tales, but this time the, prince, the princess might just get devoured by the big bad wolf. Brendan Killaney is happy to wait for the right woman to settle down and get dirty with. But when he realizes that woman is none other than his friend's daughter, he realizes he's in more trouble than he thought. So I'll go over the names real quick again. We got Werewolf MD, uh, The Werewolf MD number one by Taylor Hayden. We've got Wolf's Fake Bride, Shifter Marriage Service number one by Sky Winters. We have Wolf It Down, Werewolf Restaurateur number one by April Breeze. Oh, sorry, April Bronze. And then Dad's Irish Wolf Shifter Friend, Irish Wolf Shifters number one by Flora Ferrari. Which one is the which one is the nomance? I know this is difficult. Can I guess two? Because I don't know either. Yes, I did not divulge this to Aaron, so yes, you may guess. I think it's number one is the nomance. I agree. The MD. Is that your final answer, both of you? Yes. Yes. Okay, you are incorrect. The fake one is Wolf It Down. The <laughs> werewolf restaurateur. <laughs> Well, listen, I mean, I've got plenty of time to write <laughs> a lot of books. So I will definitely see if I can break that story. Wolf it down. I'm not a big shifter person. Me neither. Um, I like other paranormal stuff, but shifters are just, like, I love witches. I also like vampires, but shifters don't do it for me. The, the wolf shifter thing is too much pack talk. They talk about their packs so much. I don't care about your pack. I just want to see a hot dude turn into a wolf. Yeah, I really agree. Oh, it's really interesting. I wonder if someone did like a lone shifter series if it would work better for you. I, I think I so. Think, my thing is like, I just don't get what's sexy or advantageous about sometimes being a man and sometimes being a bear. Like kind of, I just, the, the why of it all, I think has never been explained to me of like why that's something 
it, and you know it's romance and i and everyone is allowed to like what they like and should like what they like and and but it's just i think for me that's always the connection i have a hard time because i'm just like why though right so i think um similar to the vampire right it's like this forbidden thing and then i also i haven't read that much shifter but i'm pretty sure like a lot of shifter books have like that kink um what is it called like nodding oh yeah yeah there's a lot of nodding there's nodding in new species too which is a series that we do love we love new species which is people humans spliced with animal dna sure sure yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) sure of course of course (laughs) no no I just sometimes like I'm glad my boyfriend's not here sometimes he overhears me he's like I'm so, what were you talking about <laughs> this better be a podcast <laughs> oh dear no I I'm still looking for a wolf shifter book that I can love I found an alien book I can love I've found an impreg book that we love so it, it, we're open to all these things it's just for me it's pecs not packs and if you can find me a book that is that, then I will love it to the ends of the earth. I feel like, does Nalini Singh have any shifters? Yes, we actually read one of hers, and that was the closest to me really liking it. Yeah, we read the first book in her Side Changeling series. That was actually the one that I loved. Yeah, those are good. There's yeah. just a lot of real estate talk in it. <laughs> You know. He he like sold condos, and I was like, I don't care that this wolf man sells condos. Listen, the real estate, it's a cutthroat world. I uh, love uh, the random things you learn about in a romance now. Yeah. I mean, I love New York real estate, but it was, I can't remember where it was. Like, it was like Phoenix, Arizona or something, which I was less interested in. I'm sorry. <laughs> no offense. It's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard to get excited about. Um... So, yeah. So thanks so much for joining us. This was so much fun. This was so Blame. fun. Yeah, we loved it. Hopefully you come back to talk Clay Pass. Oh, I am so, I'm putting it in, on my uh, manifestation board. You know, I will be back to talk about it. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed um, talking about all different kinds of things with you guys. I really, <laughs> I feel like a lot, in a lot of podcasts, I've been answering the same questions. So it was really, really fun to like go off in different directions. Yeah. And I can't believe you stumped me with the game. No, I mean, I'm pretty good at it, so I usually stump most people. Aaron's, Aaron's usually pretty good because she knows me so well, so I'm, yeah. I'm impressed that I was able to stump Aaron. We stumped Sarah McLean and Jen Prokop when we did our, like, crossover episode, so they, you know. Oh, okay, good. That's the gold standard. If they, yeah. if they were stumped, then I feel less bad. So congratulations on your book. Amazing. Um, let us know like give us the whole thing where we can what what it's called where we can find it where we can find you how people can contact you and support the rip bodice great mad and bad will be out september 1st you can order it from the rip bodice and i will sign it or you can order it from any other bookstore i wouldn't i wouldn't order it from amazon for a number of reasons um but there's other cool things from other independent bookstores too. So you should check that out. Um, I can be found. I just re- learned that my Twitter handle is not Bcotch. It's B Rose Koch. <laughs> a fun thing to learn. Uh, but on Instagram, I'm Bcotch. I'm also always hanging out at the Ripped Bodice, um, at the Ripped Bodice on Twitter and Instagram. 
less so in person now because of COVID stuff, but uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Oh, and the Rift Bodice um, has all kinds of fun virtual events coming up. Um, so check those out. And we are also still offering care packages um, in these difficult times. So order one of those for yourself or a friend. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Yeah, we were lucky enough to get an advanced copy of the book. I absolutely loved it. Fell in love with it. We'll be buying them for Christmas presents. And I thought it was it's a really great book. And it's a really great to get sort of those little taste of some women who definitely should be better known. So thanks so much for reading it. I'm mean, writing it, <laughs> letting me read it. And thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. It was such a joy to, to chat with you. It was so fun, B. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really look forward to coming back and chatting Russian, <laughs> uh, Russian clay pops. <laughs> <laughs>